Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Awesome. Don't our musos do a great job week after week after week? If you don't appreciate our music, if you don't even appreciate our church, I guarantee, go to hospital for three weeks, you'll appreciate everything in life. It's so funny. Uh, For all of you who have said to me this morning, it's great to see you. Uh, I want to say back to you, it's great to see you. In actual fact, it's great to see carpet, it's great to see a roof, it's great to see anything. It's just great to be alive. And so... It's awesome to be here this morning, be able to share it with you. Um, if you weren't here last week, my wife, Kath, shared, and uh, we kind of got together and collaborated and thought it'd be really good for us to share some of our experience that we've been through, not only over the last month or two, but over the last nine months, as Kath also was struck down with a sickness uh, later last year. And so we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we shared a series that uh, she started last week? I had one more week to get my strength up a little bit more and share the second part. And it's a series that we've simply entitled, When Life Throws You Lemons. When Life Throws You Lemons. And lemons, obviously, is a metaphor for anything that is sour, anything that is bitter. I don't know about you, have you ever had anything that has left a sour taste in your mouth? Then if if, if that's you, then you are in the right place this morning because we want to be talking about any of those sorts of things, those things that have left you a little bit bruised, those things that have left you just a little bit sour, those things that have left you just a little bit confused, hurt or in pain or agony, those things that you wish never happened to you because you just don't like what it brought to your life. And so if that's you, you're in good company and we're going to have good fun this morning talking about that. So this is simply When Life Throws Lemons, part two. It's my perspective. And the first thing I want to say about lemons is that lemons are relative. Okay. Um, Lemons can be anything at all. Um, Lemons are relative. I I know for me, when I was much younger, um, a a massive lemon that would have thrown me off my course actually doesn't even touch me today. But nonetheless, it was very real for me back then. And so I'm not here to measure your pain. I'm just here to acknowledge your pain and help you through it so that we can go from strength to strength, that we can go from glory to glory. So we're not here to um, kind of compare our pain Okay, we're here simply to acknowledge that lemons are relative. A lemon could be anything from a power cut like we had on Thursday that stopped us trading all day on Thursday, I think it was. It wasn't exactly sweet. We, we, we didn't make any trade that day. We lost a lot of stock that day. It was actually sweet for the policemen who got all of our cakes and donuts and all the things. We just gave it all down. So, so for them, it was a win for them. But for us, it wasn't particularly a nice thing. I think of some of the young kids here who it could be a, a dog eating your homework. Not the excuse, a dog eating your homework. I mean, in reality, the dog actually ate your homework. All the effort, all the hours that you put into that assignment and the dog came and ripped it up in five minutes. It's not sweet. Leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. It could be the computer crashing, all your hard work just gone. Anyone had that experience once or twice in your life? It could be breaking an arm. I know when you're a 16-year-old boy or a young man um, and you have a broken arm, it feels like the end of the world because you've got a lot of sport to play and a lot of interaction to be had. And if you break it more than once, that's just like the pits. Lemons are relative. It could be 
a broken relationship. You may be suffering a broken relationship or know of someone who's suffering a broken relationship and you're living in the pain of that thing right now. It could be the diagnosis that is not very good, as I've had experience more recently, a life-threatening diagnosis. It could be, as we as a church experienced um, more recently, at the beginning of this year, a tragic, sudden death. All of these things are lemons that are very real and, if not dealt with properly, can be the thing that stops us getting better and keeps us staying bitter. And so really at the heart of my message today is to help us get better and not get bitter. Amen. So lemons are relative, number one. And secondly, lemons are unavoidable. Every one of us, male, female, young or old, Christian or not, will have to deal with our fair share of lemons in our life. The notion that Christians are immune from lemons or pain or hardship or trial is absolutely wrong. Which brings me to my more recent sickness. For some of you who may not know me and don't know what I've been through, um, I was on holiday with my family only a month and a half ago, thereabouts, and uh, having a great time. And on the last night of my holiday, I said to Kath, I said, I feel like an old man, which is just really unlike me. For those of you who know me, know that uh, I, I, I exude a lot of energy. I, I just love life. I love grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and extracting everything out of it. And so for me to come off the back of a holiday, knowing I'm going back to, into work, to feel that low and that old and that lifeless was just really, really unusual. Kath looked at me and said, ah, shut up, go to bed. So I did. <laughs> Woke up in the morning, had a little bit of a fever, kind of slept that off. And uh, the very next day, now we're talking Thursday, had a sore back, didn't think too much of it, got a little bit of physio. But Friday I was bedridden. I, I couldn't move. I was in absolute agony. Uh, long story short, I got an ambulance to take me to hospital and um, I just couldn't get out of bed. They gave me a little green whistle to suck on, and that didn't really do too much at all. Uh, Mitchie said, oh, man, you've got to give me the green whistle. The green whistles are awesome. So I'm like, oh, I can't wait to do this. Uh, didn't really do too much. And so I got in a hospital, and to cut a very long story short, uh, I was a little bit of a mystery man to the hospital. I don't know if any of you have ever seen an episode of House, um, which is a, a kind of a a medical show and uh, that takes, talks about all the kind of weird uh, diagnoses that are out there and the doctors stand around talking about what it could be. Well, that was very much me. They had no idea. One minute they thought it was gallstones, then they thought it was uh, this, and then they thought it was that, and then they thought it was a liver problem, so they were pumping me with all this water. And uh, I put on 10 kilos of weight just through fluid. I, I, my, my, pre, uh, my stomach looked like it was pregnant. And uh, then they realised, actually, uh, this is really bad on his heart. They kind of picked up a little bit of a problem with my heart. So they said, this is the worst thing for his heart, so let's get the water out uh, of him. And so they gave me this stuff to get the water out of me. And that water just came out of me. I mean, it just came out of every orifice. And I, mean, I don't know if you know the, the, the little bedpan bottles that are by your bed. They're pretty big. I was filling them. I mean, I'm like, uh, Andre, give me another bottle, man. I'm filling this thing. Hurry up. Give me another bottle. It's going to make a mess. So 
I was not going to tell you all this. I don't know why I'm telling you it, but... Uh, Having been in the hospital a few days, they worked out that I'd got a blood infection. And um, so they got me onto some antibiotics to deal with the bug in my blood. Um, and that was what was making me feel really, really sick. The trouble is when you have a blood infection, think about where blood goes in your body, everywhere. And so from there, they had to test everything. And so, again, um, I've just had pretty much every test you can imagine, and to the point where you kind of, you tend to lose a little bit of dignity, it's just like, you know, whatever. And so, in the end, I was taking my clothes off so much, I just took them off for everything. <laughs> Nurse comes in for a Panadol, I'm just like, okay, I'll just... just, just. She goes, no, Tony, you can, you can leave your clothes on. I thought, okay, cool. I'll leave my clothes on for taking some Panadol. Lesson learnt. Um, and I'll never forget this one conversation I had with the doctor. He sent um, Kath out of the room, and I think Andre was there at that time. And so he got those two to go out of the room, and he asked me some very serious questions. I wasn't in the real serious mode at that time, and... And so he says, uh, Tony, I need to ask you some tough questions. Um, have you had any sexual encounters uh, other than your wife, male or female? And I'm shocked. I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm smiling, I'm a pastor. He goes, I'm going to ask you the question again. <laughs> I don't know what they do in your church, but in our church. I said, so I had to say to him, I said, no, I have not had another sexual encounter with a male or a female? He goes, okay. He said, have you shared any needles? I'm, like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to ask you the question again. Have you shared any needles um, for any drugs whatsoever? And I'm like, no. And he says, I see that you're into the gym. Have you ever shared any needles with steroids? I said, thank you, but No. <laughs> And he kept going through all these things. In the end, he says, have you got a tattoo? I said, no. He goes, geez, you're an unlucky fellow, aren't you? <laughs> this notion that Christians are immune has to be dealt with. Yes. I mean, on top of this clean lifestyle that I pretty much live, I'm a, par I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I've led a church, the same church, for the last 22 years. And at that moment, if that's all I've got, and I want to take that to God and have a whinge and a complaint, it's not going to help. Yeah. We need something more than, I'm a Christian, this shouldn't be happening. Yes. Church, we've got to grow up. Yes. All your what should and shouldn't be happening is not going to help you. Yeah. It's not going to help those that are closest to you. And it's not going to help, hurt, uh, help sorry, a hurting world on. looking on. Yeah. And so there I was, uh, according to the doctor, uh, an unlucky so-and-so, he used more colourful language than I'm using this morning. He said, man, you're, you're, you're really unlucky. And it's really easy, you've got to capture those thoughts. It's really easy to start thinking, man, I, I know people who are sleeping around, doing drugs, they don't get any of that. And I put it in this category, stuff happens. Yeah. Which is the Christian version of the other thing that many of you are aware of, I'm sure. <laughs> it happens. While I'm grateful for my Pentecostal heritage and what I learnt, um, 
it hasn't always been helpful. This notion that being a Christian means that you are the head and not the tail and that you'll overcome and what, that, what spin has been put on that really has done a lot of damage. I, I love the grace message, but there's an extreme to the grace message that says when you're a Christian, you, you will be uh, you know, um, exempt from certain things happening in your life and that you will be prosperous and blessed 24-7. I think that is a truth. I've certainly seen that happen in people's lives, but it hasn't happened in everyone's life. And so at the heart of everything I want to share this morning is just really a a mature understanding of what the Bible actually says. Uh, I, I really trust that as a church we would grow in our understanding of who God is and what God has said in his word, that we would have a healthy, robust theology, and as a result, we'd have a healthy, robust faith to match, that can match uh, and withstand the blessing and the trials. Because I, I, I believe that's what God would want from us and have of us as a church at this time. Amen. The Bible is very clear about this subject of hardships and trials. The Bible says that for every person, hardship and trials are inevitable. The Bible is very clear about that. The Bible is very clear that there's a purpose to hardship and trials. And the Bible is also very clear on how we ought to respond in our trials and hardship. So when you are going through these things, let's not point our finger at God and say, why is this happening? It's in his word. The answers have always been there. The answers always were there, are there, and will forever be there. And so I trust that we are a hungry people this morning, willing to lean in and listen to what the Word of God says about this particular subject. On an aside note, can I just say this? If Christians were immune from pain, then people would become Christians for the wrong reasons. If being a pastor made you immune from pain, trial and hardship, people would want to get into the ministry for the wrong reasons. Wouldn't they? Make sense? In other words, it would no longer be about a relationship with God. It would be more about personal comfort. And we'd have people becoming Christians, not out of relationship with God, but purely to make my life more comfortable. And yet at the foundation of every healthy relationship is love, not comfort. If you think about our wedding vows, in our wedding vows, I certainly know I said this about my wife, I said in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Why? Because it's a foundation of love, as every relationship should be, not personal comfort. Imagine if it, uh, what the vows would look like if it was based purely on personal comfort. While you continue to clean for me and cook for me the food that I like, and while you remain good looking, seriously, that foundation is in a lot of marriages. And when the wrinkles appear and the cooking's not as good or whatever the case may be, we change our position about what we feel towards a person. That's not love. And Christianity, at its most basic level, is nothing more, nothing less than a relationship with God that is founded on love. And as with every relationship we have, we are not exempt from pain. 
When Kath married me, it did not mean that she was exempt from pain. When I married her, it did not mean that she was exempt from pain. But what has kept us together for the last 25 years is our love for one another. That's Christianity. And so no matter what we go through, we continue to love God because we're forever grateful for what he's done and who he is. This is what the world needs to see. Not a church that's up and down, in and out, but one that is solid, stable and secure that can ride the highs and endure the lows. So with that in mind, let me turn you to the book of James, James chapter 1, and I want to read to you this morning the first four verses. James chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations, greetings. Hi. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you are facing trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a few things I want to draw from this passage of Scripture this morning. Four things I want to draw from. Um, Four things that I've lived with for many, many years as a conviction of mine that have helped me get through this last bout of sickness that I've had. And the first thing I want to draw to your attention is simply this, that we as individuals need to embrace the mission, not just the man. We need to embrace the mission, not just the man. In James chapter 1, it says, I am James, a servant of God. Not a servant of another man. You know, three weeks ago, it was Mother's Day. And uh, to the best of our knowledge, I was being taken in at 8.30 to have spinal surgery to drain the abscess, which was causing all the pain in my back. It's Mother's Day. My wife was down to preach. What does she do? Does she stand with her man and be there for him before surgery and straight after surgery? Or does she do what she promised to do and that is share? And Kath shared not once but twice. She shared at our 8.30 service and she shared again at our 10 a.m. service. And I know she blessed many people by being there. Here's the thing. I know every one of you would have released her to be able to be with me. But you received a greater blessing by her choosing the higher call. And I want to tell you, the reason she chose that higher call is not because she's a good wife, although she is a good wife. See, a good wife alone would just be doing that to do me a favour, but that's not where Kath comes from. Kath didn't do it because she's a good mum, although she is a good mum. Kath did what she did first and foremost because she's a Christian. She did what she did because that's what Christians do. And we need to move from putting the man before the mission. And the man I talk about could be the pastor. It could be the husband or the wife. It could be the children. It could be that group of friends you presently hang with and that's why you enjoy church. If all you've got is your friendship circle, when your friends leave, you will have nothing else holding you to a local church. We must put mission before the man. 
In actual fact, I believe that's why there's so much church hopping and people coming and people going because we're not attached to the mission of a local church and so we get bored. And when you get bored, you start looking around at the wrong things. I promise you this, if you don't embrace what we've been called to do as a local church and just keep coming on a regular basis, inevitably you're going to start looking at things that you never saw before when you were on mission. You're going to start saying, you know what, the music, the music is loud, isn't it? Yeah, it is loud. Or I actually don't like those fast songs. Or actually, the auditorium is quite dark, isn't it? Yeah, actually. And so we have a committee that talks about how dark the auditorium. And it's all because we're not actually on mission. And what I love about what Kath modelled to us as a church is that she was able to stand up here and do what she did. And it wasn't that she just did it. It was how she did it. I don't know if you noticed, church, there was a peace and a calm and a grace upon her life. She wasn't trying to prove anything to you. She wasn't trying to prove anything to me. She wasn't trying to prove anything to herself. She wasn't trying to prove anything to God. She was just being who she was. And that came out, and you're blessed. And I honestly want to say, Kath, I'm so proud of you. Awesome. So we need to move from God, man, and mission to God, mission, and man. I I love the fact that you appreciate me. I I love the fact that you you have healthy relationships, husband and wife. I love the fact that you're doting parents of your kids. I love the fact that there are healthy uh, friendship circles within the church. But if we put that before mission, eventually it won't be enough to hold us to a local church and embrace what God is calling us to do. First thing I learned from this according to James, is that we need to remember no matter what is happening, no matter what we are going through, that we're servants of God. Secondly, don't settle for happy. Don't settle for happy. You know, if you ask most people in life what they want and what's most important to them, they'll say this, I just want to be happy. You ask anyone, I I, I dare you, do the exercise today. Go and ask somebody what they want most in life. And most of them say, just just to be happy. And I am concerned that when we settle for happiness, we limit ourselves to what happens to us. Because happiness comes from the words happenings. And there's a difference between happiness and joy. Joy and happiness are two completely different things. Joy is a spiritual quality. Happiness is an emotional response. It revolves around our circumstances. And people who desire happiness are placing themselves at the mercy of what happens to them. And so if all you ever want to be is happy, then all you'll ever experience is happiness based upon the good things that are happening to you. But my question is, what about when good things are not happening to you? I want to open your eyes up as James does to something far greater than happiness and that is the spiritual quality of joy because joy is not dependent upon external things. Joy has an internal quality that is able to bless you no matter what you are facing and no matter what you are going through and no matter what circumstances, trial or hardship you are facing. There is a joy that comes no matter what you are going through when you know what it is to experience true joy. And that's why James has ever said, consider it pure joy. He didn't say, be happy about it. If you are happy about your trials, you're a sick person. 
if you are happy about your uh, hardships, you need help, professional help. And I would suggest you get it today. We don't need to be happy about it, but we can be joyful in the circumstance and joyful through the circumstance and situations that we are going through. To know the power of joy when there is nothing to be happy about is powerful. We see that uh, Paul was writing to the church in Macedonia and he commended them because they were a church that were in extreme poverty. I mean, this church were experiencing extreme, great poverty. And yet Paul was able to commend them because of their great joy and their generosity. No matter what they were going through, no matter what they were facing, they never lost their joy. And even though they didn't have much to give, what they had to give, they gave anyway. And it got me to thinking how often it is that when we lose sight of what God is doing, we often lose sight of our joy and generosity. I think they are two key measurables in our life. If you find yourself not living in joy, and you find yourself becoming more and more stingy, it's a great indicator, it's a great measuring stick to yourself to hold yourself accountable to the fact that you have lost sight of the bigness of God. You know, when you no longer want to put money in the offering and, 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 and help the mission that we are a part of, and that you're no longer happy about coming to church or happy about helping people, there's a good indicator that we've actually missed the point and taken our eyes off what God has called us to do. But this church that serves as a model and an example to us in Corinthians chapter 8, the church of Macedonia, where they were incredibly generous and incredibly joyful in spite of extreme poverty. We're all going to face lemons. You may have a lot of money in the bank today. It may not be there tomorrow. You may have great health today. It may not be there tomorrow. We need to have a faith that is robust. A friend of mine, John Mark Comer, said this, God is more concerned with your long-term joy than your short-term happiness. And he is willing to sacrifice the latter to get the former. This is a God who loves us. The third thing I get from this reading this morning is that there is a reason for every season. There's a reason for every season. As a church, we have been in the craziest season that I've ever known. In actual fact, I have a lot of pastor friends locally and globally, and they would say the season Victory Church is in is one of the craziest seasons I've ever known any church to ever go through. When you think back to September last year, my wife getting sick with a blood contamination, go figure. And then we come into Christmas, have a great Christmas, have a little bit of a break, and we want to celebrate with our uh, youth camp in summer and have the craziest thing happen. Two of our youth members get struck by lightning. One lives, one dies. It's crazy. Kath has another health scare which we heard a little bit about last week. And then only a few weeks ago, I'm taken to hospital. I mean, this is, this is not normal. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want this every week. You, you, you wouldn't wish this on someone. Hey, come to victory. <laughs> I 
In actual fact, and I've said this to Lisa this morning, she laughs, I think that's permission to share this, but you know, at my worst, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but at my worst, when I felt like I was dying, um, I'm sitting in bed thinking, my gosh, we lost a pastor in January, the church is going to lose a pastor five months later, who on earth is ever going to want to take over the leadership? <laughs> who wants a job? At Victory Church. And all these thoughts go there. This is, I mean, it's just a crazy season. And when you go through a crazy season, people start coming up with crazy ideas. And they start getting involved in crazy conversations. And they start coming up with crazy thoughts and crazy theologies or ideologies or more philosophies. And they start asking questions that aren't biblically founded. They start saying, oh, um, is, is God judging Victory Church? Which flies in the face of the God of grace that we've been singing about week after week. The God of grace that we've been talking about. I say, weren't you ever listening? Why is one thing, why would we throw out years of teaching, years of declaration, years of learning? And then there's others who would say, oh, we're under spiritual attack. As if the devil's got nothing better to do than just pick on us. I don't know if you've looked on the news lately, but there's a lot of problems going on in the world today. I don't even think we rate on the radar, personally. It's again, it's all relative. And in these moments of these crazy conversations, while we can't stop the crazy conversations, we can bring light, we can bring hope, we can bring peace, and we can bring sanity. And one thing I think God has used of myself over the years is to bring sanity to insane situations to bring peace to crazy. And I want you to be able to do the same. Because the Bible is very clear about what this is. And James touches on it in a very simple and beautiful way. He says, this is simply the testing of our faith. And the testing of our faith does one of two things, to simplify it for you. The first thing it does, it shows us. It shows us where we're at. It shows us what we've got. It shows us what we're made of. You know, I've been to the gym long enough and heard the stories of how strong people are and how much they can bench press. I've heard all the stories. And you know what? The best way to prove whether what they're saying is true or not is to put them on a bench and put some weight on the bench, the weight that they declared they could press, and see if they can do it. Just show me. And I think sometimes God actually listens to us. How about that for a thought? God actually listens to us. And He listens to the songs we sing. And He listens to the prayers we pray. You know those prayers you say, God, I love you. I'll serve you. I'll follow you anywhere. He says, cool. Let's just test that. No matter what happens to me, I'll never let go of you. That's cool. And so He puts us in the gym. He puts us on the bench. He puts a bit of weight on the bar and says, press. To show me. If, if, if we don't have these trials and tests, we'll never know what we're made of. And so when trials and hardships come our way, it's simply God creating an opportunity to show us what we're made of. See, I, I don't believe that God brings sickness. I don't believe God is the author of those things. But I do believe He's the God who can turn everything into an opportunity to grow and build his church. And so the first thing I believe that 
happens in these times is that he shows us. The testing of our faith shows us. Secondly, it grows us. According to James, God's desire for us is to grow, to be complete, mature, not lacking anything. Not only when you get in the gym does it show you what you can and can't push, but actually the more you push, the stronger you get. And so as we face trials, and as we face tribulations, and as we face hardships, and as we face new levels, we actually get stronger, and what used to bother us no longer bothers us anymore. If we could take a snapshot of my life, as I'm sure with your life, when I think about me at school and things I used to worry about and panic over, I mean, they were very real to me. I don't even think about them anymore. That's because we've grown. And that's the way it should be. Paul says this in Corinthians. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. There's an expectation in the Word of God that we would actually grow up. And can I just say this, that growing old is no guarantee that you will grow up. I know a lot of teenagers that are 70 years old. They just refuse to grow up. And they cause damage to families. They cause damage to marriages. And God wants us to grow up, to be mature, complete. And can I just say this? Next time you're being tested, see it as a promotion. God actually considers you strong enough and mature enough to stand this test. I mean, when you're in year or grade three, you don't get given a matriculation exam to do. But when you get to year 12, you're now ready for it. It's a promotion. Imagine being in year 12 and they give you a grade three exam. You might say, that's excellent. No, no. It's actually an insult. So they don't think you're capable of doing any more than a grade three times table. This is a promotion church. Am I altering your perspective this morning? So with that, I would say this. It's more about our response than the judgment of God or a demonic attack. We can talk about those things to the cows come home, but you know what? It's better just to get on and respond well. And what I've decided to do is no matter what I've been through, is just model a response that says God's in control. God loves you, God loves me, and nothing changes for us as a church, amen? And my last point this morning is simply this, number four, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. Um, what I've been through in the last few weeks was so painful. And my thought is this. If there's a lesson to be learned, I want to learn it because I don't want to have to sit this test again. Andre actually said to me, he said, Tony, I'm sorry you had to go through this. He feels like there's something bigger at play and he feels like God is doing a work in the team, but you had to pay the price for it. And I said, that's my honour and privilege, but please learn the lesson because I don't want to have to do it again. Because <laughs> it really was incredibly painful. It's okay to look at me up here now 
And it's hard to believe what I've actually been through. I tell a good story. I preach well enough to actually overlook how painful it was for me. But to give you an indicator, on Monday I went to get my blood tested again and I went to the ID nurse and she gave me the good news that my blood count, the, the, the infection count was down to 2.1. And she said, for the first time since this all went down, you're now in the black, you're in a healthy range. So I said to her, I said, what would the number be to make it unhealthy? She said, eight. I said, eight? I said, mine was at 250. She says, Tony, I know. You were very, very sick. People die from what you had. And I went, oh. <laughs> that explains why I feel like I was dying. And so I, I, I was incredibly sick, went through a lot of pain. But you know what? When I see what's coming of it, I have to say, you know what? It's worth it. When you go through a trial, when you are tested, there are lessons to learn. And I'd encourage you to find the lesson and learn the lesson. And in my remaining time this morning, I'm just going to highlight a few things very quickly that I've learned from this time. And the first one is simply this. They won't be up on the screen, but I actually learned this. But when I'm weak, God is actually strong. Now again, I'm, we know that, but I'm talking about knowing something at another level. It's possible to know something, but through an experience like this, you go to another level. Does that make sense? And so for me, I have never felt so weak in my life. And so when I said when I'm weak, my understanding of how weak weak is has gone to another level. So when I said, when I am weak, when you've heard me preach up here, and I say, when, you're, when I'm weak, then I'm strong, my understanding of weakness was still pretty strong. But I got to a place, and God told me that, no, Tony, when I say when you're weak, I mean when you're really weak. And this is how weak I was, church. I didn't read my Bible. I couldn't. I was struggling to breathe. I didn't pray. I couldn't get words out. I was just struggling to breathe. That's the kind of weakness. If you think less of me as a pastor because I didn't pray and I didn't read, my prayer is that you learn the lesson from what I went through and don't have to experience this for yourself. It's weak. But what I felt was God not judging me or condemning me as so many Christians would do. Like you should be reading. You know, I'm just trying to breathe right now. And I felt this incredible love and compassion say, it's okay. And I, and I trust and pray that every person in this room will get to know God at that next level. No matter how weak you are. God is strong. God's got this. For those of you who are struggling in your grief and in your pain, and you feel weak and you've got nothing to give. It's okay. It's okay. God's got it. Second thing I learned was that we need faith-filled friends around you. You might have a circle of friends, but they not, may not be faith-filled ones. 
They may be the ones that Google stuff and tell you all about it, not a friend you need. <laughs> they may be a friend who starts saying, oh, what's going on? Is this a demonic act? Not the friend you need. You need faith-filled friends. The kind of friends that that paralyzed guy had and they brought him to Jesus. He was incapable of getting to Jesus by himself. And I want to say there was times where I was incapable to pray for myself and there was times I was incapable of reading by myself. And what I love about this story is there were four men who had faith and said, buddy, you're going to Jesus. I don't know if he just couldn't, I don't know if he's embarrassed. No, this is embarrassing, guys. Put me down. No, I don't want to go. It's my Monty Python version of the whole thing. <laughs> you know, guys, okay, it's full. There's no, there's no room in the house. Okay, let's turn around, guys. No, no, we're going to go up the wall. And I mean, imagine the guy on the wall. I mean, he's going to go up the wall, on the roof, through the roof. Like, guys, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed now. Just take me home. When you're as weak as I was, the moments get pretty embarrassing. I mean, I appreciate Andre and his willingness to help, but sometimes he got a little bit too helpful. <laughs> Offering to help me with the water bottle, with the, the pee bottle, and I said, that's weird, mate. I've got this one, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but when these, this man on the stretcher was brought by these men, this is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus saw the faith... Not of the guy on the stretcher. He said they saw, he saw the faith of his friends. And he healed the guy who didn't comment on whether he had faith or not. And, and I want to tell you, there were times I didn't have faith. Again, I was just trying to breathe. And it's just great to have friends at that moment. You can't live there, don't get me wrong, you can't live there. But there are those moments. And in those moments, it's great to have friends. And so a lot of people have been saying to me, Tony, we've been praying for you. And I say, I know you have. I wouldn't be alive today if not for the prayers of you precious people. I know that. Because if it's left to me, I, you know, seriously. There are times you just, your mind just plays tricks on you. And I thank God for friends. There was one particular night, probably my worst night that I had in hospital. And I said to Kath, I said, I hate the nights here. Now again, this may shock some of you because you think I'm a fairly strong guy, but honestly, I hated the nights. I'm not afraid of the dark, I just hated the nights. It wasn't a physical darkness because lights were on, it was, just, it, was just a, it was just oppressive darkness. And so my precious team worked a roster where certain guys could stay the night. But the first night that happened, Dan McGaw said, I'll, I'll take the first watch. And that was my worst night. I honestly... With no exaggeration, I felt like I was dying. And my body, I felt like my body was shutting down. And I can only tell this story with the benefit of hindsight because at the time I was just trying to stay alive. And Dan had come, I saw his face, he came in, hey, this is going to be a great night, it'll be fun, have a sleepover with Tony. <laughs> I, I could see it on his face, hey! And that lasted about three seconds. And I'll never forget him watching over me. I, he, I don't think he slept a wink that night. He just was watching over me. And I, I'd nod in and out of consciousness and, and I'd wake up and, and I'd see him just there. <laughs> Sometimes checking whether I'm breathing or not, thinking, don't die on my watch. 
And I didn't help matters because all I could muster to say, and this is not helpful, sorry about that, Dan, but I just looked at him looking over me and I knew he was praying for me. I knew he was probably scared and didn't really know what to do, but he was there. And it means a lot. And I looked at him and I kept saying, Dan, I was whispering, Dan, love you, man. <laughs> love you, buddy. He's like, oh, it's like a mama. He's just home. <laughs> but you know what? He probably feels he didn't do much, but honestly, it was enough to get me through. It was amazing. I was burning up. I felt like every part of my body was moving. And I can only put it down. And I'm not a super spiritual, super spooky guy. I can only put it down to a demonic attack. Because honestly, it was the weirdest thing. All my vitals were fine. But I felt like I was burning up. Honestly, I felt like my liver and my heart and everything. I was just moving my body. I was shaking. I was just a mess. Had no strength. And in the morning, I said, get Kath here. I'm like, I want to say goodbye to Kath. <laughs> and I remember saying to Kath, I said, you are my angel. And I thank God for Dan, Andre Slade, Benno Stade. And that got me through the worst. Mick offered to say, I said, no way, you snore too much. <laughs> Love Mick, just don't want to sleep with him. No, just if you ever want to pray for anyone in our church, pray for Katie because... <laughs> it was uh, amazing, you know. And at my lowest point, some of the tricks your minds play on you. Because it was a being a blood disease and, and I had all these experts trying to come up with ideas. And so you've got the spine guys doing things, thinking I'm going to be paralysed. Something about I'm going to be in a wheelchair paralysed. Cool. Then my heart, because of the blood, there's been a bit of heart damage and they're saying I need heart surgery. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a heart attack. So be paralysed in a wheelchair and have a heart attack. Which is like, okay. <laughs> And I mean, you're laughing because I tell it funny, but seriously, the, the, in, these are the things you just start thinking. And then uh, I, was, I was convinced at one stage I must have cancer or leukemia or something like that because I want to do a bone scan. So I got to do this bone scan and it's got into your bones. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's got into my bones? You know, all that stuff. And then the neurologists step in because they found a little spot on my brain. Oh my gosh, I've got motor neurons disease as well. And these are very real thoughts that I, as your pastor, had. Happens. Happens. And I didn't feel God judging me or condemning me. And I didn't feel my close, faith-filled friends judging me or condemning me. We just need a faith that is not just robust, but real. Otherwise, what, how can we help people? And so I'll be forever grateful. Thank you, Dan. Um, really appreciate what you did for me that night, even though you probably feel like you didn't do much. Sorry for scaring you, but uh, I'm glad you were there. On a side note, one of the things we did, which is kind of counterintuitive, in the first week and a half, uh, we didn't let a lot of people in. And if that was part of, you know, if you were one of those and feel like, why can't I go? Can I just say this? We didn't let our kids come and see us. I didn't want to put something in their head. I didn't want them to see their dad. I mean, up until that time, they've never seen me sick. I've never been sick. And so you need to use wisdom. And I want everything I've been through 
to learn the lesson for myself. But where I can, I want to help you. And so it's counterintuitive because I wanted nothing more than just to hug my kids. But I realised long term, it's not going to be helpful. But I did get BJ's pink blanket. And I just had her pink blanket, which reminded me of home. And everyone teased me about having a pink blanket, and, which was kind of sweet. It's gone very quiet in here. We need a keyboard just to manipulate the environment. That's all. <laughs> I learned that laughter is the best medicine. We've laughed lots. Seriously, I talk about all the pain and, and, and all those stories are very real, but we've laughed lots. 99% has been at my expense. <laughs> Even the other day, I said to BJ as I was putting her to bed, I said, hey, BJ, uh, have you noticed Daddy's getting better? She goes, yeah. She says, but I, hear, I still hear you coming up the stairs. <laughs> and you know what? At that moment, I could say, as her parent, don't be disrespectful. But you know what? I think it's an incredible opportunity to laugh. I just know laughter is good for you. And if I'm the butt of the joke, hey, why not laugh? Some of you are so precious. Instead of defending yourself when people are picking on you, if you actually joined in, you'd have a better life. So laugh, church. Laughter is an incredible medicine. Laughter is just amazing. If you don't know what to laugh about, seriously, just look at yourself. You're, seriously, we're just, we're just weird creatures. Remember, I, I, I will tell the story. I kind of alluded to it, but there's this one time I, I, was in, I was in agony trying to get up, and Andre thought he was going to help me because I need to go to the toilet. So he's got this bucket, and he's like this. He's like... And he said this, he said, this is not in the, my, my pay scale. <laughs> this is not on the job description. And so I looked at him. I said, I know. So what are you doing? <laughs> Pervert. <laughs> We've laughed. Have a laugh. Laugh at yourself. Next time your friends are teasing, you just actually join in. And the last thing is the band come up. This is what I've learned categorically, absolutely 100%, that all things really do work together for good. It's early days, but already I've learned some things about this particular subject. You know, for a guy who's been in the gym or involved in gym life for 30 years and been fit and healthy, you can get an identity around that. You can be, you know, you can be the pumping iron pastor. But that was all stripped from me. And this is what I learned, that through all that being stripped from me, I'm okay with it. I actually learned that actually my identity is not in those things. Now, that doesn't mean the moment I'm well, I'm not going to start going to the gym because I think it's good. In actual fact, they said if I wasn't as healthy as I was, I probably would have died. So I think there's something to be said for that. But honestly, I actually learned that, actually, you know what? My identity is not in those things. I'm glad I went through that test to be able to have something proven to myself that actually 
I haven't been doing this whole thing just as an image. And I think this test, God wants to take us through to highlight some things about you that you'll actually be chuffed about yourself. I've changed. And some of you might say, good, because you needed to, and I did. I'm far more compassionate now for people who are sick. And can I, can I qualify that by saying this? That doesn't mean I wasn't compassionate. It just means I'm far more compassionate. It means that whatever level of compassion I had, I've gone to a whole other level. I've cried more in the last six months than I've cried my whole life probably. Now, I'll never be a crier. Although there was one day I was crying all day. And Cass says, Tony, you've turned into Danny Guglamucci. <laughs> but I do. I, I was watching a show the other day and this young boy comes on and he's got no limbs and, and they're looking at him and he's prostrated. And I just, I just burst into tears. That's a good thing. But remember, I tell you, the lesson's not all about me. This is what the Bible calls going from glory to glory, from strength to strength. My question to you and challenge to you would be, when's the last time you did something at another level? When could it be said of you that you are now more generous, more compassionate? This thing has changed me, and so it should. You shouldn't come out the same. In actual fact, I think it's impossible to come out the same. When I think about Lisa here on the front row, her sister-in-law, Danielle, Danny, Dan, every other thing they call you out there. You're not meant to say the same. But here's the thing. Will you get better or will you become bitter? Because it will change you. The trials and the tests will change you. The question is, will it change you for the better or will it change you for the bitter? And there are many people that change for the bitter. They no longer go to church. How many people do you know that used to go to church? used to say they love God. It changed them. Their disappointment changed them. This has changed me, church. But I'm more in love with God, more in love with people, more in love with this church than ever before. And call me stupid, I, I don't know, the one question I haven't asked is why me? In actual fact, as your leader, I'd rather it be me than you. I wouldn't wish what I went on on anyone. So if someone's got to endure it, maybe it's will be me. In actual fact, think about it this way. If God's going to entrust pain to anyone, surely it should be his people. Because we should be the ones who handle it better than anybody. Why should we be the ones exempt? Surely we should be the ones to show the world, actually, you know what? There's hope in your pain. Have I sat down at all today? Oh, Okay. I feel like there's a greater appreciation of me to you and you to me. When you've been around for 22 years, it's, it's easy to get familiar. And I feel like through this experience, there's a greater love, a greater appreciation. And I want to say, church, let's not lose that. Let's grow in that. I would also say I've seen incredible stepping up of the team. I touched on that last week. But our team's not the same. Our team has a new normal, and I'm not going to let it go back to what it used to be. When I think about Ash... 
who preached in the chapel service this morning because they wouldn't let me do two services in a row. They want to preserve my energy and I appreciate that. I felt like I was strong enough to do it. But this new normal that we have as a team, we can make decisions and, and I'm just happy to concede and go along with that. And so Ash preached this morning, did a great job. We've seen him grow before our very eyes. I could say that over and over and over again of different team members. It's all good. All things. The good, the bad, and the ugly work together for good. They do. It's going to hang around long enough. I can stand here before you and say I have no regrets. And we'll milk this story. There's lots of more fun to be had at my expense over this thing. There'll be more funnier stories come out, things that I've forgotten. I mean, the first three or four days I was out of it. You could say anything. And I was saying, okay, it's true. I, wasn't, I can't remember. You could say absolutely anything. But it's all good. Amen. So in conclusion, trials will make you stronger, not weaker. Trials are there to lift you up. And I want you to know this church in God, when we fall, we don't fall down, we fall up. It's where we get the words of that incredible song, Upward Falling. I, I feel like in God, it's like when you stumble, we stumble on an escalator. You know those things in the airport, those things that just travelator things? You fall over, but the whole time you're moving forward. And when you dust yourself up and get up, you think, gee, I'm actually further ahead than I was when I, before I fell. And I've come back to this church, and I feel like the church has advanced. I feel like it's further ahead than it was before I was sick. That's God. All things work together for good. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 